found the Winding Road Podcast, hosted by Jason and Isaac. We're two friends who are sitting in the driveway just chatting about cars over some drinks, while two of our favorite cars are sitting behind us shining in the sun. We never know where the conversation will go, but we hope you join us. All right, welcome everyone. Happy Monday. Um, today, I've got a special guest, Emerson from Emo's Garage. You can find him on uh, Instagram and YouTube. He posts a lot of uh, track day videos on YouTube. Um, and also just, you know, he's got a Daytona build going on. He posts some stuff there occasionally as well. So you can keep up with that. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jason. How have you been? Good. How are you, Isaac? Good. And Emerson, what brings you on to the podcast today? What are you excited to talk about? Oh, man. I mean, I could talk about a lot of stuff. Talk about the uh, Daytona build, obviously. That's been consuming uh, almost all my time during COVID, all my car time in the garage. And then uh, track events, tracking the Porsche. I'm excited. I'm getting ready to go to uh, uh, Birmingham, Alabama next month, uh, just about one month from today, actually, 16th and 17th of April. So um, super excited about that. We can talk about track stuff, uh, talk about car books, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, I've got all sorts of stuff going on. What's in Birmingham? Which track is that? So Birmingham is Barber Motorsports. Okay. Um, and it's actually though, a lot of people think it's like Barber, like Rick Barber driving school or whatever. I'm sorry, Skip Barber driving school, mm-hmm. but it's actually not. It's actually, uh, it's not affiliated with that, but it is a, uh, it's kind of a famous track that uh, Porsche uses for their driving schools. And so I first went there 10 years ago now, maybe longer um, to a Porsche one day driving school there. And they had, they have the whole track, but it's a nice road course. Uh, and the person that built it was uh, one, he was a motorcycle collector and there's this huge motorcycle collection. That's supposedly one of the best ones in, in, in the United States. And then two, there's all this artwork all around the track in all the turns. There's like sculptures and stuff around the track. And there's all this cool, like huge giant sculptures of spiders and crazy stuff, you know, kind of sprinkled around the track. So it's, it's a cool destination with uh, good elevation changes and uh, some good speeds and, and everything. So I'm looking forward to it. Interesting. I don't know if I've ever heard of a track having sculptures around. It. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it, that could be distracting. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't uh, hit one. Right. That's the other thing. Yeah. yeah right. Is that your first time then at Barber? Uh, so I went, it's my first time with my car there. I did oh, that right. one day driving. School. School. Yeah. I did yeah. the driving school yeah. there and I wanted to go back uh, right. since then. It's like one of those tracks that's on my list. I mean, I try to, keep track of like uh tracks within a certain radius you know mm-hmm. driving radius of where i am that i'd like to go visit and that's one that's about seven hours for me so it's it's doable uh, for a weekend and um i've been i've been looking for someplace in the south to go in april typically like you know i'm in cincinnati so up here it's still pretty sketchy to try to go to a track event this time of year because you could get snow you get freezing rain <laughs> all sorts of stuff mm-hmm. um so i'm looking forward to uh heading south and going to the track there in april okay I have um, on my Google Maps, I've got starred like tracks somewhat close to me. Mm-hmm. Originally back in the day, it was for like photography. But now that I have my Cayman, I'm like, okay, I want to go there and there. But yeah, so kind of like the Northeast mostly, but um, I'm sure you have something similar to that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And then where you are, I mean, yeah, I would love to be able to go like to Lime Rock. There's some, and, and, um, uh, Watkins Glen. I mean, there's, there are some great tracks that aren't far from you that mm-hmm. for me, it would be eight, 10, 12 hours, but, um, but for you, yeah, there's definitely some traction on there. I'd like to hit up. Are you going to, um, pl- are you planning to go to the Porsche Experience Center while you're in the South? 
No. So interestingly, I mean, you know, they've got, it was funny. So Porsche used to only use the barber track uh, in Birmingham as their main school location in North America. Then they built the experience center in Atlanta. Then they built, built the one in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And uh, now they have like smaller tracks there, but not from what I've seen, I've flown over and seen it and seen some videos. It seems like it's more almost like a large autocross type course compared to like a real road, you know, a two mile long road course through the mm-hmm. woods. So, um, so no, I've not, I've not been to the experience center. I'd like to see it, but I've not, mm-hmm. I've never, uh, never checked it out yet. Yeah. I, it is on, a, it's very compact as far as a facility goes and it almost looks like a autocross slash gym comet type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, that's cool. Jason, you got anything? Yeah, I was um, I was looking at the um, Emerson's Instagram a little bit, and um, I'm very interested in the Viper. Uh, oh yeah, I've I've always been a huge fan of Vipers. Um, every time I see them at like cars and coffees and things like that, um, they just intrigue me because they're such like a driver's car, you know. Uh, yeah. I don't. Yours is a 2010, right? Yeah. 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 So did, so does that one have, I'm not, I'm not like, I don't really know too much about them as far as um, what, what goes into them, but I know that like the earlier models never had like, tr- like uh, trash control or anything like that. And it's like such a driver's car that if you don't know what you're doing, you can get yourself into trouble very quickly. Um, uh, so I'm curious to see about like your, your 2010, does that have any more, um, you know, like features on it that kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say dumb it down, but make it more usable for the average driver. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So I love Vipers, man. Like I, I'm a big awesome. Viper fan ever since I was in uh, uh, college, like in the nineties, late nineties, I, w- I went to Purdue and there was a Viper on a campus that was on display and it would have, it would have been new at the time, like a second generation Viper, like a late, like a 99 or 98 say Viper. And I remember seeing it, um, and walking around it and I was just like, they had the engine open. You could see this red engine with 10 cylinders, you know, eight, eight liters. And you're, you're thinking like, this thing is massive. And this is like just a beautiful sports car and it's American, you know, and it has the nostalgia and stuff and some of the Carol Shelby type heritage to it. It just, it's just, to me, it's just like the perfect American sports car, right. And low production number. There's so much, there's so many great things about it. Sure. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so the original ones, you're right. I mean, they were, uh, dangerous. I mean, I mean, you know, you could, I talked to one guy at a car show and he told me that he came out of his neighborhood. His tires were a little cold. He did a complete 360 in the middle of the road, just, just pulling out. He had a little too much gas and the whole thing just completely spun on him just right away. Uh, and I've not had that experience, but, um, but my car does not have traction control. That's right. So you do have to modulate with your foot. And if you get into it too much, it will start going, but it's pretty, you know, the tires in the back are like 245 width. And uh, they're wide and sticky. So you have, to, unless it's cold out, if it's in the forties or below, it's like all bets are off. I don't drive it, but uh, because the tires get no traction, but if, if it's, if the, if it's warm enough out, if the tires are warm, it is hard with the gearing in the transmission to get it to just completely like, if you stomp it, it it'll start to fishtail a little bit, but it's hard to really just completely lose control, you know? So, okay. but I have heard people definitely, I've heard the stories. I've talked to people that have, that have done it. Yeah. Um, and I had, uh, you may have seen on my Instagram, I had a red Viper that was a 2013, which was a Gen uh-huh. 5. Yep. And then I traded it for my current one, which is a Gen 4 and is the, the green one from 2010. And the difference between those is like night and day. Like the, the newest one, it had like 
like a big touchscreen navigation system, a digital dash. It had a cruise control. I mean, it, it had everything that like <laughs> that that my Viper doesn't have, and it had traction control, had all that stuff. And then my Gen 4 was the last one of what they kind of consider the raw Vipers that right. didn't have traction control and was more like that. But yeah, it's it's a yeah. beast, but but I, I love driving it. Is that yeah. still an 8 liter? Or is that one of the yeah. 8.4s? 8.4, 8.4. 8.4 V10, um, 600. Okay. I don't know the exact. It's like 600 and... 600 horsepower. I mean, maybe it's right at 600. And I think in Gen 5, they bumped it up to like 640 horsepower and 600 torque. And I think mine's like 600 horsepower and 580 torque or something like that. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's pretty much all motor, um, which is nice. I mean, I like it naturally yeah. aspirated. It's, a, it's got a good, it's got an interesting sound. I won't say it's a good sound like the V10. I don't know if you, if you spend a lot of time with V10 cars, they can have some weird sounds. Like they don't sound like V8s. They have kind of a raspy, loud. They're loud and and kind of gnashing metal sound, but not like, um, not that great kind of V8 kind of lope. You yeah, know, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned that because, you know, uh, you're right. And I never had I never heard anyone explain it that way. But you know, you hear a V8 and you hear the lopiness and the the, the growl of it, and then you expect oh a V10 oh it's got to be like you know, V8 exponentially from that. And it's not, it's, it's a, it's like a whole different sound. And I don't, I, it's hard to explain what that sounds like, but it's not like your average V8. That's just like American muscle. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear someone else explain it that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think the 12s are even different too. Like if you hear a V12 Ferrari, I think it sounds different and I think it sounds better than the V10. The yeah. V10 is just, oh, yeah. you know, but um the v10 i mean it's rare you know v10 you think about it, it's like you got like the bmw put the v10 in like the uh m5 and m6 you know whenever whatever generation that was and then you've got like the lexus lfa or whatever had a had a v10 and then um of course the uh, porsche um carrera gt had a v10 right mm-hmm. but there aren't that many v10 sports cars mm-hmm. especially yeah, then- more i mean that's going away these days yeah yeah and they, they all sound different too, just like a V8. Um, you know, the, the Viper V10, the, the two you mentioned, the Lexus, the Porsche, and then there was also, besides the BMW, there was uh, the Lamborghini, of course. Yeah, and the and Audi. The, and the Audi, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they all sound different. Like the Audi and Lamborghini V10s, they kind of sound, I would say maybe if you add a VR6 to a V8, maybe. Like they have mm-hmm. kind of like a sonorous sound, um, but most V10s aren't necessarily pleasant. Mm-hmm. They're different, and I like them because they're different. Just like a five-cylinder, they aren't necessarily a pleasant sound, mm-hmm. but you know them when you hear them. Yeah, that's what my neighbors say. They say uh, they they always they hear me coming. They're like, I never know if it's the UPS truck or your Viper. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how to take that. I know. Right? <laughs> well, it is a truck motor, you know, so. I guess that's right. not far off base. <laughs> that's so. awesome. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of talking about the, the Viper, um, I knew that you've had two of those. Um, I actually found you originally because of your Cayman, because I have a mm-hmm. Cayman. Um, yeah. Is that your first Cayman? Uh, no, I had two Caymans. I, I, I had, well, the GT4 is my second one. And then I had a silver Cayman S, uh, 2000. 
eight came in S. Okay. And um, uh, or was it a six? No, I can't remember. I should know that. But anyway, it was. Uh, but yeah, it was a uh, the nine eight one came in or nine eight seven came in S. Yeah. And um, uh, silver with a six speed. That was the first car I started tracking. I got it okay. specifically because I wanted to start tracking it and getting into track days. And I did, I used it for a year. I did like five events with it or six events with it um, and loved it. And, uh, but I got, but it was consuming oil at a rate of about a quart a day at the track. So Mm -hmm. um, I was going, I was going through two quarts a weekend at the track and I thought this isn't good. So then I put a camera down the cylinders mm. took out the spark plugs put a camera down the cylinders and i could see bore scoring and one, one of the cylinder one of the spark plugs had oil on it and then i when i put the camera down there i could see that there was there are marks in the cylinders which is a common problem with those cars and uh and so then i was looking at either you know spending like 25 grand to re to redo the in, to rebuild the engine do the, all the protection to protect that um and i thought you know maybe i should just get something that's like track already kind of out of the box i don't have to modify the suspension or the brakes or anything else it's kind of a gt4 sort of like right out of the box right on the track and it's already mm-hmm. set up and so i traded it in on a um on the gt4 okay so you had basically what my car and um i was curious between the 987 and your 981 now and then the two generations of the viper do you see any similarities as far as progression between the two of them? Or do you think one is better than the other as far as they really refined it more? Like, does that make sense? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, um, um, de- so they definitely are, are like way different in sort in sort of the directions they went, I would say, like, I think mm-hmm. the last Viper, they tried to, I think a long time for a long time, just talking about the Viper for a second for a long time, Dodge's the rip on Dodge was that the interior of the Viper looked like a minivan parts bin cheap plastic everywhere, et cetera, which it does. I mean, I'm uh, first one to say it's, it's not a pretty interior. Um, and so with the gen five Viper, when they came out the gen five and at that point they were, they had Maserati, it was uh, Chrysler had, had owned Maserati at that point. And, um, they used all Italian interior stuff. They used Sabelt seats, like the same ones that are in a Ferrari, um, carbon fiber shell, hand-stitched leather. There's a video on YouTube that I, I watched that was like all about the making of the Viper, of the Gen 5 Viper. They hand-stitched all the leather in it. I mean, they've got these like women with sewing machines and stuff making all the steering wheels. I mean, it is beautiful. And it like the car smelled good. It was, it looked like it was worthy of an Italian interior when you got into it and um and so they definitely like major sea change if you look more like porsche you know they never do that kind of stuff right it's never a sea change it's always like small incremental every generation just like a little bit you almost have to look to find the difference like oh they changed the vents from here to here they you know they changed it from an oval to a square or whatever it's always like minor stuff um in terms of the the 981 i felt like the 987 on the on the Cayman was like so much better. It was more what I would call alive on the track. It felt like you could toss it around. You could feel the body more. Um, it gave you a ton more feedback. It had better visibility. And I feel like in the in the GT4, it's a more uh, capable car and it's faster and it's a better track car, and you can push it harder. But um, it's sort of you can't see out of it as well. It um, 
it's, it's a little bit more numb in terms of the feeling, you know, unless you're really pushing it at the track, like, like, you know, when it really, when you're really pushing, you can feel, obviously feel a lot through the steering wheel on the seat, but, um, but yeah, so it's, it's like, uh, I actually really miss the feel of the, the 987 a lot. Hmm. What's interesting, what I found is interesting is, you know, I got this BMW, um, Z4M that's a 2007 and I'm amazed at how similar it is to my old Cayman. Cause they were kind of mm. compatriots and, and sure. sort of direct head to head competitors from the same period of time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it reminds me a lot of my, my old Cayman in terms of some of the way it feels and looks and the interior and things like that. I've considered, I mean, I'd really like to get my car on track, but the, I do know that without really proper modification, like a deep sump oil pan and proper baffling and stuff, being that it's my daily driver, I'm kind of taking a risk and potentially causing bore scoring if it's not mm-hmm. already happening. And um, so I'm part of me is like, well, let's keep it two or three years and then maybe get a 981 with a direct injected engine. They kind of solve mm-hmm. that to an extent. Um, and then maybe take that one to a track. So I don't know, maybe I'll, I'd like to get into some autocrossing again, like I did yeah. 20 years ago. So that's definitely not a problem, problem, but, um, being that it's my, my commuter, I'm kind of hesitant, you know, now that I own the car. Cause when I, when <laughs> I look at it getting, I'm like, I'm definitely going to track this car. It's going to be awesome. But my more mature side now is, is saying, well, maybe hold off, you know, for now, maybe do one event or two just to, you know, say I've done it and enjoy the car in that environment. But, um, you know, definitely be cognizant of anything long-term. Yeah, we know with the oil thing, I mean, actually, if you have, to me, it's about the tires, uh, because if if you have street tires on it that have give, you won't create the G-forces necessary necessarily to completely slosh the oil out of the pan, or you shouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and really what I've, when, when I was studying it on my old Cayman, I was looking at doing the deep sump with the baffles and everything. But then when I read was, they were like, yeah, really, it's more important if you put slicks on it because they're so sticky or you put some kind of R compound tire because they're so sticky mm. that you'll create lateral G forces that will then push the oil around. And, um, and so I'm not, I actually don't think that my tracking caused the bore scoring because um, when I got it, it had, it had a puff of smoke at startup uh, when I first would start it. And, and the guy told me like, oh, he's like, it was funny because it was the first time I first, that wasn't the first Porsche I bought, but it was the first Cayman I bought. And he was like, oh, all these cars are like that. You know, it's common. It's like, if they sit for a while and then you start them, you get a little bit of smoke. And I was like, oh, well, okay, whatever. But, um, but now that's like, oh yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what that Sounds was. about right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And, and really, I mean, obviously your first or second, even probably three or four track days in you're not going to be getting exactly the most out of the car that it's capable of anyway. So it's not like I'm Randy Pope's, you know, sitting in a car and, and getting, mm-hmm. you know, the um, record all-time lap time of a Dodge mm-hmm. Viper ACR on Laguna Seca, you know? Yeah. So, um, I guess that kind of eases me a little bit, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I tell people all the time, like, just go out and try it. You know, people say like, oh, I'm going to have to upgrade my brakes. Oh, I'm going to have to go get special tires. I'm like, you know, you can really, I mean, as long as your tires are, you have to look at the date code on your tires. You can't have tires that are 10 years old, but mm-hmm. as long as you have tires that are less than five years old or six years old, I think is the standard, um, you really can run it. I mean, I mean, you really don't need to do a lot to prepare a car for the track. Uh, you want to have fresh brake fluid, obviously, but um, 
it's really not that involved. And, and one or two track days doesn't, some people are like, well, I don't want to go burn through a set of brakes. And it's like, especially like you said on your first track day, you're not going to be pushing it hard enough to really burn your brakes up or even your tires. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so depending on the car you have now, I've heard like Corvettes, cars that are heavier and don't have as the braking that like some of these Porsches have, mm -hmm. they go through brakes. They'll burn through brakes very quickly. But um, my, my Cayman, my old Cayman, I, I could go, you know, uh, five, five events on one set of brake pads and, uh, five, you know, weekends on one set of brake pads. So I wasn't changing pads like every, every week or anything, you know, every, uh, event. That's pretty good. So I have a couple questions. Um, and here, this is coming from a guy who's not used to being on track. I have an S3 and Audi S3 that, you know, I daily drive. Um, I have a lot of fun with it, but I haven't gotten into like track days yet. So my question is, um, for, for, for you who have been, Emerson, who have been, like, you know, involved in tracks and things like that, um, do you ever come across situations where there's like novice, like novice drivers on the, on the track that cause situations, um, you know, that, that, you know, kind of mess up somebody who's trying to get the, you know, run their car as hard as they can? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Of course. Um, it's, uh, so uh, the events I typically do are with Porsche through the Porsche club, you know, I mean, they, I've also done BMW club and I've also mm -hmm. done chin track days. Um, and I've been happy with all three of those organizations and, and would do their events again. The, um, they all do a pretty good job of, of segregating drivers based on their resume. And you have to submit your driving resume when you register, if you want to not be a novice. And um, typically you need to have like 10 events or more to move up to be in the higher rated uh, categories. Okay. And so usually, but sometimes when you go to a new track, you've never been there before, they'll put you in the novice group, because if you don't know the track that well, you're not going to be driving at the speed that the, you know, pros are or not pros, but the more, more uh, experienced drivers are driving, you know? And uh, so I have definitely had times where I've gone to a track and I've been in the novice group, even though I, I have done like eight events or something, but I've just never been to that track before. And so then I end up following around people that this is their first weekend on track. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, I'll be flying into a turn and suddenly they're braking and you're like, that's not where you should be braking. You're like, you know, you should, you should break, you know, a lot further or you, or you can take this turn without breaking. There's turns you can take at mid Ohio without breaking at all. And there are people that break going into these turns and I'll come through there I would go like uh, turn, let's see, turn two at mid Ohio into the chicane. I'll come into that turn at hundred miles an hour, about hundred, 105. I'll make the turn. And then as soon as, as soon as I get the car straight, I'm on the brakes and I slow down to about 70 to make a hard left. Um, there are cars that will be going down and they'll break from, they'll be going hundred, but then before they turn into the turn, they'll slow down to like 80. And so if you're, if you've got a 20 mile an hour difference, you're flying up and suddenly they're on the brakes and you're not expecting that. Then you're like, oh man, now my car's unsettled. Now I'm getting on my brakes when I'm not expecting to be. Maybe I'm trying to turn and brake at the same time, which is always dangerous. You don't want to do that. So yeah, there, there definitely are times when uh, when I've been following somebody and said, oh, that's not that's not safe. And and I'll either, if they if they don't wave me by them and let me go by them, then I always, I can come into the pits and, um, and just wait one lap. I mean, like let them go by or, you know, wait five minutes and then go back out on the track and have enough distance that I'm not around them anymore. Um, but mm -hmm. most people though are forgiving. I mean, like I don't fall, like I don't, 
no one takes it like personally, like, cause you understand people have different vehicles with different capabilities. Some cars might need to break because they don't have the downforce to be able to carry the speed through the turn. And, you know, there's like Mustangs, for example, I always end up for some reason, I always end up behind Mustangs <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and I love it because like they have a lot more horsepower and they're always faster on the streets, but I'm always faster in the turns. And so I always, I'm like catching up, to, I'm on their bumper all through the turns and then we get on a straight and they won't let me pass them. They just want to drag race. And then, but mm-hmm. sure enough, as soon as we get back in the turns, I'm like right on their bumper, you know, and finally they'll let me go by them. Right, right. But, um, yeah. but anyway, but, but yeah, but, but, uh, but it's, I mean, that's part of the fun though, right? I mean, you're, you're out there with other yeah. cars. I, I don't like being out on the track just by myself. It gets, it gets boring. You can actually lose concentration and get distracted when you're just kind of cruising and no one's around you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. makes sense. I was wondering earlier, Buff. have you been to a track where you're like, that was as far as tracks go, it was like more of a boring track or you don't need to get back there again now that you've been there. Cause I'm sure yeah. there's been yeah. really great ones. Like maybe like we were talking earlier, VIR, or if you ever get to Lime Rock or something like that, they're going to be have really good characteristics, but I'm sure there are some tracks that are kind of like duds. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say that uh, probably the, the, probably the only one I've been to that I've said to myself, I actually left a day early. I actually left early. And I was like, I'm not even going to finish all my sessions because I was like, this is kind of boring was at Putnam park outside of Indianapolis. And um, it's a smaller track and the way it's configured one, there's one turn that you have to slow down to like 12 miles an hour to make a turn. Like it's, it is the most strong right hand, 90 degree with no real runoff. And so you have one part of the track where you have to slow down almost to a complete stop to make a turn, which is always boring. And then two, there's, there aren't, there aren't enough big straights to have a lot of passing zones. And so you end up like, if you don't pass, if you don't pass somebody on like the one big straight, then you end up just following them for like an entire lap, just riding their bumper around because there's nowhere else to pass them. And then you get back to the straight and then you try to pass them. And so I felt like I was in traffic almost the entire time. Um, and I wasn't able to really kind of get out and kind of push the car very much um, because I kept running into traffic, you know? And so it just wasn't, it wasn't that challenging of a track. It's not, there's not that many turns. There's not that much elevation change. Um, and the passing zones made it not as much fun. So that was one that, but, but otherwise I've been knock on wood. I've been pretty, pretty happy. I know a lot of people say they would not go to uh, the Indianapolis road course at mm-hmm. Indianapolis Speedway. Um, I really enjoyed that, but part of it for me, like I grew up in Indiana. So part of it for me is like being on the Indianapolis motor speedway and driving like down the street sure. where all the grandstands are is like really exciting. Yeah. And, um, but a lot of people say it's a, it's a completely flat track. It's bone flat. I mean, it's just a tabletop flat. Um, and it destroys tires. Like, like because of the, because of the turns and the road surface and the flat and whatever else it has a hit, it has a reputation for like just kind of tearing up your, chewing up your tires and, some people just find it not that fun, but I, I really enjoyed it, but it might just be, for me, it might be the nostalgia of being at Indianapolis, you know? That's fair though. I was looking at that at Putnam. Cause I've, I feel like I've heard the name, but I've never seen it. It looks like it's got a, a triple apex five, six, and seven. It's that probably the most technical part of the course, would you say? Yeah, let's see. So I'm trying to think as you go through, you go down the main straight and you make the right and then the left, and then you go through that section up there. That would be the triple apex turn through there it looks like looks like it yeah yeah i mean that probably is i i don't remember i've only been there once and so i mm-hmm. honestly don't remember it don't don't remember all the turns by by number you know sure. um 
but yeah, there, there is one section that you can kind of get some flow, you know, where like you're doing kind of the left, right and kind of get the car moving side to side and stuff that, that gets exciting. Otherwise, and the other thing is there's not a lot of stuff around there. I mean, a lot of these tracks I go to are out in the middle of nowhere, which is fine, but, um, but that's also one where like the facilities aren't as great. There's not as much to do, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. Part of it, like yeah. in Indianapolis, everyone gets a garage. You get to have a garage. You get to use the garage that like the IndyCar drivers use. So wow. if you read, if you register to an event there, you've got, you've got your own garage space, you've got outlets, you've got fans, you've got all this stuff going on, you know, it's just a cool kind of a cool place to be. And VIR in the same way, is just like a great facility in terms of these beautiful rolling Hills in Virginia. And um, uh, there's good vantage points to go and watch the cars when they're on track and you can see them and stuff and kind of Putnam park. You can go to one little grandstand and see the entire track from one spot, you know, which is kind of uh, the only track I've been to. You can do that. Um, So occasionally I will mention to Jason about a car I see on my way home. And I think you guys Mm -hmm. are both going to kick out of this one. Jason today, I saw a first gen lightning on the way home. Hmm. You remember those things? Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I the, see where those in probably the, 10 years the, at least. I think they were the 5.8, right? Mm-hmm. Like the square body ones. Ed Craig Grill and all. Never been in one of them. Um, I was in a buddy of mine when I worked at Ford, had a uh, an 03 Lightning and with a supercharged 5.4. And... Uh, I mean, this the supercharger wine on that thing was amazing. I loved it, but I've never been in one of the first gen ones. That's a rare sighting. Emerson I six sees all kinds of weird stuff on his commute. It's it's pretty amazing. <laughs> uh, he spotted a Viper actually. I think it was like a like a ninety four Viper. I think you saw a red one at, at a gas station, didn't you? Remember yeah. that you sent it to me? Yeah, it was the one right by my house, the gas station. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I love, I mean, I spot stuff all the time, right? I'm trying to take pictures and everything. And my family's always like, yeah. stop taking pictures while you're driving. And I was like, yeah. you won't believe this. No one's like, gonna you believe don't get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't know. You don't understand why we do these things. Yeah. <laughs> the lightning. I mean, that's a cool truck. I've never seen, I've never been in one. Uh, I I've seen them, you know, obviously and stuff. And um, I thought they were cool. I, I also thought the Viper trucks were cool. You know, they made the Ram, yeah. with the, they put the Viper engine in the Ram yeah. and uh, those things got not much love for a while. And now they've kind of taken off in price like everything else, obviously, but, sure. um, but that's a car, that's a truck that I thought was always cool. But the thing about the, the Viper truck was that it was only rear wheel drive. And I thought, man, it, you know, light truck bed, and it's rear wheel drive only that's got you. I can't imagine driving that thing. It's just got to light <laughs> the tires up. Like, I bet there's no traction. Yeah, Plus I can like imagine. So, you know, the, there's a wing there that'll take care of everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Plus, like the stick on that thing was like I don't know, three feet long. Yeah, remember? Yeah, it's almost like the <laughs> like, old. Uh, yeah, it's like geez. some kind of hot. Imagine like rolling like, yeah. through that thing. Yeah, <laughs> like a rat rod or something. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> Those are cool, though. I mean, I you know that's that's stuff that you'll never see again, especially with the way oh, we're going yeah. with like electric cars and stuff like that. That's absolutely right. That's right. How do, Emerson, how do you feel about that? What's your, I mean, you're a car guy. You're, you take your cars to the track. Yeah. Um, what is your thought on like, because uh, me, to, like, in my per, like, to me, you know, a, a gasoline engine, a sports car, a V10, whatever you have, um, you can make that car have personality. How do you make that have personality? Like, what's your yeah. thoughts on that? 
I mean, I think, I think that's the right question. And I think that's part of the reason cars are shooting up in value right now is because people are realizing that this is the end, you know, we're in like the end days for cool cars that are like real cars and everyone's out buying them up, everything they've ever wanted. If you ever wanted something, it's like, now's the time to go buy it. Right. Because they see it coming. And it's, I drove a, a Tesla. One of my buddies got a Tesla and I drove it, um, uh, about, I guess it was about a week ago. Uh, I drove it just on very, very short kind of drive um, just to ch- check it out. And, um, you know, the thing is, it is rocket fast. I mean, you're blindingly fast, obviously. Um, but, but the thing is that, like, for me, it's like there's like an experience, like cars are like an experience. And it's like the sound, the smell, shifting, mm-hmm. feeling the car shift, feeling the, the torque curve, and having that sort of just constant like suddenly you're going 60 miles now, you're, you're suddenly going 60 and then 80, but it's like how you get there is just so different and it doesn't, it's not as uh, thrilling, you know, and it might just be because that's how I was raised and maybe someone who's born today and grows up with the electric car and that's all they know. They'll think those are really cool, you know, but, um, but yeah, but for me, I mean, it's just not, they're, they're fast. I've actually said I would get one. Like I, I think, cause I have other cars, like I wouldn't have only an electric car, but I could see myself having an electric vehicle. Like, you know, it'd be nice to be able to plug it in at night and have it be silent and, and whatever. I mean, um, have the instant torque and stuff. Like I could see that being something that would be cool to have as an option, but, um, but I definitely wouldn't have that as like my only, only car. I'm not that, not that interested in them. And, and I have lots of questions about the environmental impact and the energy usage and what, how do you, what do you do with them when the battery needs to be replaced and it dies and you can't recycle it and what happens to all the rare earth minerals. And there's all sorts of things about them that I think doesn't make sense, but um, you know, that's, that's my two cents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, yeah, we could probably have a whole nother three hour discussion on that topic, <laughs> but uh, I agree with you. Um uh, I think you're right. I, you know, there's there's several cars that have piqued my interest. That uh, like for Audi, for instance, you know, I know that they're they have announced that they're stop you know stopping producing um, internal combustion engines. I forget exactly when. Isaac, you might be able to help me out with that. But um, you know, it, it makes me wonder. Like, okay, like l- let me buy this car now and like stick it in a garage for a while, take it yeah. out every once in a while. You know, maybe that'll be an investment one day. I don't know if you saw my story, man. The other day, like, uh, I guess it was last week, I was posting about how I was thinking about getting a Hellcat uh, jailbreak uh, challenger because, you know, I don't know if you saw that, but like Dodge announced it. I didn't feel enough. So so Dodge announced that like they're coming to the end of the challenger run, right? And they've also also coming to the end of the Hellcat. They're not going to make the Hellcat anymore, the engine. Okay. And so they've said that they're going to open up the option books and let you configure it any way you want. They call it the jailbreak. And they're going to add like 10 horsepower to put it over 800. It's a Hellcat Red Eye, makes 808 horsepower. And you'll be able to get like some unique options and configurations that no one else can get uh, in any other model of the car. And I thought, dude, that would be a car to buy. I mean, now it is like 100 grand or something like that when you option it all out. But I think if you bought that, left it in plastic, left all the delivery stuff on the seats and just put it in your garage in five years, I mean, I think you you could double your money on it. Oh, definitely. I mean, I see stuff come out from like the 80s, like uh, with the window sticker still on mm-hmm. it, you know, driven 5,000 miles and they're getting all kinds of money for those types of things. So I definitely think it'd be a good investment. At that yes. point, I, I was like, what are people buying now? Is it just to say that you have it? Because I saw like a year or two ago, 
It was a 93 Cobra R. It had 25 miles on it. It had all the, you know, the factory stuff on it, the seat covers and everything. What is the purpose of buying that car now 30 years later? Is it just to have it in your garage as, you know, as a showpiece for a year or two and then you sell it to somebody else? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's, I, th- I think that's the only thing it's good for, to be honest. I've, I've, uh, even getting the Viper, my Viper is a, so it's a 2010, so it's 12 years old and it had 7,800 miles on it when I got it. And like literally, I had to spend several thousand dollars to have like all the seals replaced on it because and have all the fluids changed they were like this thing has the original oil or i don't know if it has original oil it may, it may have they said it looks like it has all original fluids in it and they're like all the gaskets have dried out because it really hasn't been driven enough to keep it lubricated mm-hmm. and uh so i had the dealer go through it and i said look i want to drive it i'm not going to put tons of miles on it, but i do want to drive it so i need you to make it drivable and they're like well then we need to change all this stuff out and uh and so i had them do it but I think that's what you'll run into. Like people buy some of those cars and they're like, oh, it's super low mileage. That's awesome. And then I'm like, man, the first thing you have to do is get all that stuff changed out because otherwise you're going to be leaking fluids everywhere and blowing stuff and whatever. Or even like dry rotted tires, you know, the tires are are crumbling. Like as soon as they start rolling and stuff like that. And I, the, the driver in me just, I can't compute having a car like that where it just sits around as a museum piece and, if it's not a museum, if it's in my garage, I'm, it's going to get driven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. So I, I'll just never relate to that, I guess. Yeah, I feel the same. I mean, some car, I mean, at some point, I don't know, you, you know, we could talk about what's the perfect number of cars to have in your garage. Because I, I don't, I'm not someone that wants like 12 or 15 cars, but I know people that have like eight cars and they do have cars that they don't drive for a year at a time. You know, they'll never, they, they literally won't drive it for 12 months. And um but that's, you know, if you have that many cars and you're cycling through and rotating, you've got other stuff to drive and maybe you don't want to put miles on it or it needs to be serviced and you don't want to deal with it or whatever. I can see how it happens that something just kind of sits there and just doesn't get used. But my view is like, I want to use it. I try to rotate through my cars and and rotate what I keep on the lifts where so I can get them out and drive them. And um, that's just that's just me. But um, do you still have the vet, Emerson? No, I sold the vet last year um, at uh, through Bring, Bring a Trailer, and um, that's been an interesting. Um, sold it to a guy in uh, Florida who was in his early 80s, and he was a retired CEO of a company and su- super nice guy. And I've, I've talked to him. He sends me emails and stuff now, telling me like what he's been doing. And he basically repainted the car. You know, like the car was silver when I had it, and when mm-hmm. I bought it. Uh, the original color was maroon and he had it sanded, repainted. He gutted the interior, redid the whole interior. I mean, I thought it was in nice condition, but he completely has restored it. And um, he says he's going to drive it for a while and then he's going to put it back on, bring a trailer. So I'm really interested to see when it goes back on, bring a trailer, what happens to it, at, you know, compared to when I sold it, you know, and compare that experience. Yeah. I mean, it looked like a sharp car. I, mean, I, 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 you know, again, we didn't have a, I didn't have a whole lot of time to like, you know, look at your stuff, but that was something that kind of stood out to me. And, but what, what was your experience with bringing a trailer? So, well, so this is interesting. So I bought the car at Barrett Jackson. So I had, I had my first experience at an auction was buying that car um, out there. And that was an experience. I mean, that is an experience. You go out to like Scottsdale to one of those big auctions. Yeah. I've always it, wanted to do that. Oh yeah. I'd always wanted to go too. And I, that was my first time going to one. And I was like, I'm going to register as a bidder. I'm going to check it out. I'm going to get a car. And I went with two other guys and the three of us all bought cars and shipped them all back together. It was really cool. Mm, but nice. um, the first thing I'll tell you is 
the they, they give you a, a lanyard, right? If you're a buyer, if you're a registered buyer, that lanyard has a barcode on it that you can scan for eight drinks a day from the bar for free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, nice, of course. <laughs> right. So like <laughs> they know how to get people like going, right? They're like, okay, so first of all, like all these people are like half popped and uh and oh get, yeah, of course. Right. And you yeah. get a lot right, of right. I mean, there's a lot of testosterone. There's a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of people that like want to show off. They've got like, you know, these girls with them and they, they're like, I'm going to buy this car. They're bidding against each other. It's really a fascinating kind of experience mm -hmm. to go walk around and just check out and see. But, yeah. uh, but, but, uh, but so yeah, so I bought it out there, shipped it back, had it for three years. I really enjoyed it. Great car. Um, I always wanted a classic car. That was my favorite year of Corvette, you know, the C2 body style. I just loved it. I love the 427 side pipes, the sound, the rumble, um, the big V8. I mean, it just, mm. everything about it was fantastic. Um, and, uh, but I wasn't driving it as much. It was sitting a lot. Um, my family didn't really want to drive it. You, you know, it smelled really bad because the exhaust, you know, like when you, when you drive it, you'd smell like gasoline stuff like that. So, um, so I said, you know, what? I'm, I've had it for three years. I'm going to sell it. And, um, went through bring a trailer and you have to apply. So I applied to bring a trailer to sell it. And uh, they got back to me and said, okay, we'll accept your car. You have, they, they choose what cars they'll let you sell and bring a trailer. And they said, we'll accept it, you know, and, and we'll work on the ad for you. And then it was like three months. And then they came and said, okay, next week your auction is going live. So I had like really like very little heads up or anything um, mm -hmm. that it was going to suddenly be live. And I was waiting like forever for it to go live. Um, and then, and then it went live. And then if you, I mean, I, I don't know how to tell your listeners to check out the auctions. I don't, I don't remember like the number or whatever, how to like look it up, but there were like, the comments are brutal. Like it was, <laughs> it was hilarious. Like the people on there kind of trashing the car, like, Oh, I'm not even sure that frame is original. Is that, is that a replacement frame? Oh, is that rust? Oh, can you look at picture number 63? looks like it's covered in rust. What's it, you know? And then, you know, it, and then people were like, oh, that looks like a forgery. I think that engine's a fraud. I don't think those numbers really match. I mean, it was just crazy. The, yeah. the comment commentary running through the comments, you know, and I think mm -hmm. it hurt the value for sure, because it, it definitely made people question the car. And, um, but I will say, so the nicest thing was I had a reserve on the car. It did not meet the reserve price. And so the car did not sell. And then what Bring a Trailer did was they emailed me and said, hey, here's the name and phone number of the guy who had the highest bid when the auction ended. You're welcome to call him and work out your own deal. And we won't take a commission from it. And so that actually is mm. like surprising to me that they didn't want any money. So they actually end up, the only thing that they made off that, my, that deal was a $100 listing fee that I had to pay to them. And that was it. And so then I called the guy and he was like, what was your reserve? And I told him, and he was like, okay, I'll pay you the reserve amount. And, um, and so we had a deal. Wow. Wow. I would have never expected you to say that, that they did that. Yeah. I was surprised. I really was. Cause I thought, oh, surely they're going to, they're going to say, Hey, if you sell it, we owe, we want our commission, you know, but, yeah. but maybe they figure they make enough money. I mean, you look at the volume of cars going through there, they've got to be making yeah. boatloads. Right. Right. I don't know the um, origin of bring a trailer, but just judging by the, I, I, you know, I, I look at the vehicles that go through there, but I wonder about the origin of it and like, how did they start? Did they start with like junk cars that you mm -hmm. actually needed to like, bring a trailer? I think that's right. I think it was like a Craigslist type, you know, thing for like junkers and project yeah. cars and stuff like that. And what's interesting is I've noticed recently 
that I think they're owned now by Hearst Media, who owns Car and Driver, because I think it was on a Car and Driver mm-hmm. website I saw where it said uh, Car and Driver had an article about bring a trailer, and then it said something in a footnote like, you know, bring a trailer is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Hearst, blah, 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 or whatever, mm-hmm. to, like a disclosure. Sure. And I thought, oh, they must have bought them, which I thought was interesting, but um, but yeah, I'm on there all the time. Like I, I watch all the time. I've been on a couple cars. Um, I just think it's a great platform and the fees are so yeah. reasonable. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the buyer pays a 5% fee and the seller pays a hundred dollar listing fee and that's it. And that's, I'll tell you, like when I went to Barrett Jackson, it was the buyer pays 10% and the seller pays 10%. So they make 20% on every deal. So for bring it, bring a trailer is just, you know, so much more economically affordable. You went to the Barrett Jackson in Scottsdale, right? Yeah. So I think they, they have them like other, other cities. Yep. I've gone to the Palm beach one in Florida as well. Um, mm. the Barrett Jackson when they, in the one there, but I'll say mm. Scottsdale's our main one. And I mean, it is like mm. 22,000 cars or 2,500 cars or something like that. And mm. it is like acres and acres and barns and barns of, you you walk all day and it's just car after car after car. It's like, and you won't see all the cars that are there. It's, it's definitely an experience, uh, to go out there and do that. It's worthwhile. It's fun. I mean, I don't know what it costs to get in. It's like 20 bucks to get in just to walk around, but it's, it's worth it just yeah. to go out and check it out. Definitely on my list for sure. hundred uh, percent. We have a listener question for the Cayman. Um, they asked what uh, it's a Roman 94 asked, what are the key improvements to make to the Cayman out of the box? The GT4. The GT4. Um, so, I mean, it does not need, honestly, it does not need a lot out of the box. I mean, it is in, um, it's in pretty good shape. I mean, obviously good shape, but I mean, it, it's pretty well prepared for the track uh, it, or whatever you want to do with it. I've, I felt like I put a roll cage in it, obviously. Um, I put a half cage in it. I've heard people at the track have told me the saying is with age comes the cage. And it's like, as you get older, <laughs> it's like <laughs> you start investing more in safety gear than performance gear because you start worrying about stuff. Uh, so that is, uh, that's true. I mean, my, the first things I did was I was like, okay, I'm going to put a cage in it. I'm going to put a harnesses in it. I'm going to, you know, make it more safe. Uh, I upgraded the brake pads. I changed the rotors. Uh, once the rotors wore out, the rotors on the stock uh, came in a uh, GT4 are, are cross-drilled. And if you track it, they will crack because the heat stress from the, from the brakes will make those, uh, those holes start getting little spider cracks coming off of them. And uh, so I, I switched to the gyro disc slotted, uh, rotors and I put some firmer PFC pads on it. I changed the brake fluid to Motul 660. That stuff really is like, I think it's like bulletproof then, you know, and then from there, after that, I did the exhaust this over the winter here, I, I did the exhaust and headers and did a tune on the engine, um, which doesn't add a ton because it's, you know, naturally aspirated and you can't, you can't really tune that much out of it. But, but, at, but I think I picked up like 30 horsepower from the, uh, from deleting the cats and uh, putting on the race headers and doing the tune. Um, I added the wing risers to the back to make the wing taller. Uh, there's a couple of brands that, you can get to do that. I got ones from RS Envy, but, um, but it, it raises the wing, makes it look more aggressive, makes it look like a GT3 style wing. And then, um, then I got some uh, actual track wheels uh, last year so I could have uh, my own, you know, a set of tires specifically for the track. That's like, that's where I am now. The next thing to do, if I was going to do anything else, the next thing that people typically do is, and this is all for track, Like you don't have to do anything for the street, but this is all for track. You would um, adjust, get, different toe links in the back 
and the front to push out the, the tire to put more camber on the rear uh, tire and on the front. Um, you can run more negative camber, but you have to get like either, I forget if it's like the lower control arms or some kind of spacers or toe plates or adjusters or shims or whatever it is, but you have to get something um, to, to change out some of that suspension geometry to be able to get more camber. That's what a lot of people do um, to the car to create more grip, but I've not, I've been, I'm, I'm going to run it this year the way it is and, and see how it is, but I, I have a feeling I'm, I'm in pretty good shape with it. I feel like we can talk about track stuff all day. I've never talked track so much in my life, but I have so <laughs> many questions, um, but I don't want to, you know, I want to try to not be track only uh, or, or Cayman only. So I'm going to just try to be less uh, focusing on one thing. Yeah. Um, let's see. You've got the BMW Z. What, what drew you to the Z? Um, you know, that was a car that I always wanted that the profile, particularly the coupe, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of the convertible, um, but I felt like the coupe was low volume, the way the lines and the side profile is, the way the back profile is reminded me of something from the 60s, it almost kind of reminds me of the back of like the uh, the Daytona we're building, I mean, kind of the mm. flat kind of back and the way the, the hump goes over the back. I just really like that styling a lot. And I feel like it didn't get a ton of love when it was hot, when it was new. And I feel like it's aged well. It's something that could be a future classic. It has some throwbacks to like the BMW. I forget what it is, like the 507 or whatever the old BMW mm. coupe is uh, from like the, the 50s and 60s. Um, so I, I've always thought that was a good looking car. And um, and then the engine, the motor that's in it, the, the S54 straight six that was in the E46 M3, um, you know, when I was, uh, I started, I got out of law school in 2002. And so, um, I was kind of right in my, uh, right in that time frame when I got out of law school was right when the, uh, E46 M3 was out new popular on the street. And it was like the, you know, the coolest thing in the world. And I love those. And, uh, I couldn't afford one at the time. I ended up buying a 323 coupe, um, with the straight six, but, you know, kind of the, the kind of the base coupe uh, three series. And I had that for a couple of years and loved it. And, um, and so that was like, for me, that M3 was kind of the pinnacle and that, that straight six, the torque you get from it, the sound it makes, it's a kind of a unique engine. I really like that a lot. So I'd always kind of had in the back of my mind, like, oh, you know, one of those Z4 M coups would always be a cool car to have. And, and so when I sold the Corvette and I was trying to think what I want to replace it with, I thought, you know, I want to get something a little bit older, something a little more analog um, from that kind of 2000s era. And I just thought I'm going to get one of those. And um, and it's something that I would feel comfortable. It, it makes like 330 horsepower. So, you know, it's not like super insanely fast. And so it's something I'd feel comfortable like teaching my kids to drive. My wife drives it. Um, mm. It's just kind of a good compared to like the Corvette where like no one wanted to drive it and it was a kind of a beast to drive this thing is like i can let my kids drive it or whatever and it's it's easy probably a more usable or like i agree the e46 m3 is one for me is is pinnacle um m car um and it sounds like the z4m is kind of like all the great stuff about the m3 but maybe you don't have to feel as precious with it because mm -hmm. you know it's not going to command the premium that a nice mint condition E46 is going to command mm -hmm. um, and it's going to be just as drivable, maybe a little more nimble because it's smaller and, you know, lighter and things like that. Yeah, right. It's like I don't need the back seat. Um, and the other thing I found is that the Z4s tend to have lower miles because usually people weren't daily driving them, you know, and um, 
And so when you find E46 M3s, in my experience, it's hard to find any that have less than 50,000 miles on them. I mean, a lot of them have between 50 and 100. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do, then they command a super premium. And so this car had like 38,000 miles on it and uh, looks like new. The interior looks like no one ever even sat in it. And, um, and, but it wasn't, you know, as expensive. So I, I thought, yeah, I thought value wise, it was a great value. I think it's, I think it'll hold its value going forward. And um, I don't think I'll lose any money on it. I mean, the, it's interesting. I mean, this is another topic we talk about, but like when you think about cars to buy and value and today's market obviously is, is crazy, but I've always thought like some people will say, I've had people say to me like, oh, I can't believe you spend money on cars or I can't believe you spent this much on a car or whatever it is. And I'll say, man, you know, you're spending more on your th- three series that you're leasing than I'm going to spend on this 66 Corvette that I bought at auction, right? Because I, I literally drove it for three years and then sold it for what I paid for it. It really cost me almost nothing to have a 66 Corvette for three years, you know, and mm-hmm. what's it going to cost you to lease a, a three series for three years? You know, you're right. going to spend 35 grand on that. And yeah. um, so like, I've, I've totally have like a different mindset about it. And I try to think about cars more about you know, what, what's the exit plan and what's it going to look like when I want to get out of it. And so I don't, I don't have a problem buying something that maybe is more expensive if I think that the value is there. Mm-hmm. I think we have to talk about the last elephant in the garage before we, before we leave for the night and Daytona. I can't believe we haven't talked about that yet. I know. Oh. It's, I had that on my list. It's, it's on here right now. It's Daytona. <laughs> yeah. So where, what was the genesis for that, for that project? Um, I understand you have you got a donor, probably a newer five-liter Mustang with the Coyote engine. Um, but where was the genesis for that? What, what have you always wanted to do a project car or that one specifically, um, and things like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've always, I mean, a couple of things kind of came together. One was um, I have always loved the Daytona Coupe. Um, the Shelby Cobra ones are are okay. I don't I don't mind those. But I've always loved the lines of the coupe of the Daytona coupe. And it always reminded me of the Viper. I thought it was like, it's like kind of like the 60s version of the Viper. And so I, to me, it was like, I always liked that car. And I always thought, boy, it'd be cool to have one of those, you know, with that body. It's such great, such great lines. And then at the same time, I thought I've always wanted to like restore a car work. I've always enjoyed working on cars. I've never done anything this aggressive, but I've always enjoyed it. And so I've always been looking for kind of a project car. And then at the same time, COVID hit. And so we were we were going to be stuck at home indefinitely. And at the same time, my daughter was in high school and she had to do a high school project uh, for her senior year. And she asked me if we could do something car related together and awesome. and pick a project that was car related. And I said, well, and, she, and we talked about like, well, should we get like, like one idea I had was like, maybe I'll get like a 1998 M3 and I'll convert it into a track car. We'll gut it. We'll do all this stuff and make it into a track car. And then she could track it. And she could have a track car and, and go with me to the track and stuff. And I was like, that would be really cool. Um, but then I was like, you know, but if you get a car that's like 20 or 30 years old and it's got tons of miles, like you don't really know what you're getting into and you don't know if you're gonna be able to find the parts and you don't know, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so then in some ways I thought, you know, maybe building a kit car in some ways would be easier because all the parts are brand new. You've got an instruction manual. You've got an online form that tells you how to do it. They've got YouTube videos you can watch. And, um, and so I said, why don't we just build a car? And so she was totally on board with it, you know, really excited about it. And uh, so I ordered it in like May of when COVID COVID started, you know, in uh, March. And in May, we ordered the the car, the kit car. And it showed up in August. And so August of 19 is when we started um, 
was it 19 or 20? I guess it was 20. 20. Yeah. August of 20 is when we started working on it. And, um, and we didn't have a donor Mustang. What we actually did was uh, we bought a, um, I bought the drivetrain out of a Mustang, out of a wrecked Mustang. So sure. I called a junkyard in Iowa and said, I want the engine and transmission. And they put it on a pallet. It was like 40,000 miles on a 2016 Mustang GT five liter coyote engine. And uh, they sent it all to me. And then, um, and then I was nervous because they, they said, well, it, it runs. I said, does it run? And they said, oh yeah, yeah, it runs. We'll give you a, you know, a 90 day warranty on it, on the engine that it runs. And I said, okay, well, it's going to sit in my garage for six months before I can actually start it. <laughs> so <laughs> I hope it runs. Cause like by the time I actually put it in the car and start it, like who knows, you know? Um, but uh, so it sat in the garage on a pallet and we had to do a bunch of work over the winter, get it all done, get it into the frame, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then um, we went to start it and we made a checklist, like what, what, of all the things that could go wrong, if it does not start, we said, okay, let's make, before we try to start it, let's make a list. If it doesn't start, what are the top five things that will troubleshoot, you know, before we just try to start it. So we had a list of things. And um, so we turned the key, nothing happened. So we went to our list and it was like, okay, you know, maybe it's this, the clutch, or actually the first thing was the fuel pump wasn't connected. So it was not getting any fuel. Check the fuel, got that running. Okay, now turn the switch, nothing happened. It's the clutch sensor. You know, you had, you'd put the clutch in, in order to start the car so you don't accidentally start it in gear. Right. We had it wired backwards. So basically it, it thought that the clutch, even when you push the clutch in, it thought it was out, whatever. Um, so we flipped this, the wiring, start again, starts and immediately dies. And and just kept doing that. Like you'd start it, start, die, start, die. So I get on the forums and I Google, you know, Coyote Daytona kit project starts and immediately dies. And immediately it says, your mass airflow sensor is in backwards. They're like, take it out and flip it around and put it back in the opposite direction. And so we did that. And then it started and ran. I mean, it was crazy. Wow. And, um, and so we started, my daughter started it and I was taking video. I've got video. I've got a reel that I made of it on my, uh, on my Instagram story. And, um, but it was like the most awesome thing. I mean, the things just sit there just like pumping. It was open headers, no side pipes, just open headers. It was so loud. And uh, it was a phenomenal day. And the engine has been running fine. I mean, we've, we haven't driven it a ton, but I think I put eight miles on it because it's, it's just a frame, you know, but, mm. um, but we have taken it out. I've driven it around like the neighborhood, driven it up and down the street, took it to a gas station and um, took it to a cars and coffee once on, on a trailer and then got it out and drove it around the cars and coffee. And, uh, and it was, it's, it's running. So it's knock on wood, man. It's, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. Sorry. I've never done anything like that before. We actually built a functioning vehicle seeing some That's of the things awesome. you're posting recently with the body work you're doing makes me nervous for you i don't know if i could because it's like if i cut this wrong i'm gonna know it because i may not be able to hide it and then what do i do <laughs> i know like i i know like the door i'm working on the door you know trying to get that door to fit and i kept thinking if i if i make it too too small on one side or i get the line off like you can't add more to the door it's like that's it right and but, i mean i could yeah. now but in the back of my head i'm thinking you know I can always buy another door. I mean, I could call factory five and say, Hey, send me another door. I, I'm sure it would cost a couple hundred bucks, but it, I, I, there is a plan. It's not like I would have to use an ugly door if I screw it up. Mm. So I just thought I'm just going to go for it and just but, make it work. And it looks like they give you templates for a lot of stuff. Like you're putting the taillights in the other day. And so that probably makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. That has helped. Uh, the instructions have been hit and miss. I mean, they, 
I mean, they are good. They work. The instructions work. Sometimes the pictures, you know, like they won't show you, you can't see, like they'll show a picture from the top, but you can't see like, did they put a washer on the bottom or is there, you know, is it the nut with the washer and then this, then this goes there or what's the sequence, but you can only see one angle and you can't see what it looks like. Um, that happens quite a bit. And the bags, it's like, you know, you open, it's almost like a Lego kit. It's like you have a bag of bolts and nuts, like that has a number on it, but there's like, it's full of all sorts of random <laughs> stuff in it, you know? And it's like, use the hardware to yeah, attach the yeah. blah, blah, blah. And you're like, okay, you know, like I'll figure this out, but <laughs> it works. You know, I've gone to the hardware store a lot and bought more bolts because I didn't, because I used the wrong ones somewhere else. And then I didn't have the right ones I needed. And, uh, <laughs> but at the end of the day, it's like, you just have to be able to roll with that, you know? Now, is the goal for that to be like a cruiser? It's all about. Uh, are you going to like um, make some creature comforts, like maybe in some sound deadening or a somewhat toned down exhaust? Are you going to have it more like a track focused car for you and your daughter? Or what's the end goal? So I think the end goal is more just to more like a Carson Coffee. I, I don't think I'll take it on like road trips. Um, you know, I'm not going to make it like a long cruiser. It doesn't have side windows. I'm not, I didn't buy the window package. <laughs> I could buy them later, but I didn't buy the window <laughs> package for the side windows. So the doors will just have an opening. So I won't drive it like where I'll leave it overnight somewhere or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, it really is more just to just to take it to cars and coffee, drive it around town, go for little short cruises and stuff. And um, honestly, like the experience of building it, like I've actually even thought to myself, I would almost like just get done with it, enjoy it and then sell it and get another one and build another one. Cause it's like the Mm -hmm. joy of building it is, is, Mm -hmm. is almost more enjoyable than, um, than I think driving it around is going to be, but, Mm -hmm. but it is, um, but that's, I'm not planning to track it. I mean, it has tiny brakes. It has no analog brakes. It has no trash control. It has no safety systems, no airbags. You know, I mean, it would be a death trap, I think on the track. So I'm not, I'm not planning to track it. Mm-hmm. Mm. It almost sounds like the experience you're having is like doing your own maintenance. So we were talking about that a few, a few weeks ago is one of the things I like about doing, I think Jason too, doing some of my own maintenance is just the satisfaction it's also a stress relief, you know, it's kind of an outlet to go and just kind of get away from things, throw on some, some classic rock and just, in, you know, enjoy the nice weather, throw back a couple oh, of yeah. drinks while you're doing it. So it sounds like it's kind of a similar process. Kind of That's cathartic. absolutely true. And I feel like today, you know, in today's world, I feel like people are so on their phones and laptops and I spend all day in front of a computer. Like my job is like in front of a computer all day. And so to use your hands and actually build something, shape something, cut and mm-hmm. sand something. That's mm-hmm. not a skill that people even really do anymore. You know, unless you're doing something like this, I mean, you don't get that experience. So I, I just like being able to kind of unplug and do something, something like that, you know, that's just different. Yep. That's awesome. I love it. Does your daughter have any, uh, any interest in going to the track eventually and getting some track time? I don't, you know, I, she's not, she's not expressed that. I mean, she has not okay. said that she would like to drive on the track. She, she went with me. I took her to the, uh, to the Porsche festival at uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway this summer. The, this thing called the Porsche Together, Together Fest. And um, it was at Indianapolis Motor Speedway uh, for a weekend and they had some Porsche club racing going on. We went up there and watched some of the club racing, which she had never seen like live Porsche racing before. And, uh, and she was like, this is awesome. She's like, I want to come to this all the time. So she liked being at the track, being around the race cars, all that kind of stuff. I don't know that she actually would want to drive one, but, Mm. um, but I think definitely now she has an interest in like going to more track events and seeing what it's like. Um, 
you know, I mean, I mean, I didn't go to a track event until I was in my forties. So, I mean, I didn't actually do any tracking until I was in my forties. So uh, <laughs> she's got a lot. In fact, some of the stuff she's learned how to do on a car. Now you think about it, like I'm learning at my age, she's learning as a teenager. She's got, you know, she's 30 years ahead of me on some of this stuff, which I think is awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Jason, uh, any final questions before we head out? I think we can probably call it a night soon. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, nothing, I don't think we have a whole lot of time, um, you know, as far as, you know, what we'd like to get in, but um, I wanted to discuss the Z8, but that that's like a whole nother, like, you know, hour long <laughs> conversation that we could probably have. So maybe, yeah. maybe we could have Emerson back as like a special guest, you know, like, uh, you know, back again, but the, uh, that was on my list, but no, no, okay. other than that, nothing. Nah, I mean, I'm pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Anytime guys. I mean, I'm, I, I love talking cars, so. Cool. Well, yeah, <laughs> we, we have to do it again. Emerson it was great having you. Yeah. We yeah. Really thank you guys. It. Thanks for your time. Um, and um, if anyone uh, didn't catch it before, you can catch uh, Emerson on uh, Instagram, Emo's Garage, and also YouTube as well. Search for his YouTube channel, especially if you want to look some, ride-alongs with uh, track days and things like that. So again, thanks for coming on. And for everyone listening, uh, thanks for joining us. We look forward to hearing from you again soon. You can reach us by email at windingroadspodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at windingroadspodcast. Great having you back, guys. And we'll talk to you next week.